Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carr. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, you blew us off last week. Where I know. <laughs> no, I know. I don't remember. I, 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 know, I lost I did, track I did of the time. Podcast alone. I, I heard. I heard. Did they play the music anyway? <laughs> it, was, it was a disaster, man. No, 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 no. It was a good, solid show with the chairman of the DNC. If you haven't listened, go catch up on your back episodes. But we're the 100 day mark coming up. We got the 100 day mark. Big tax that? plan. And we have a big, big guest uh, we're going to get to very shortly, uh, Mark Short, Director of Legislative Affairs at the White House. Uh, good uh, good guy, uh, has probably the hardest job in Washington, <laughs> maybe except for Sean Spicer's. Yeah, and, and, and the man that he used to work for, and, and Mike Pence has a pretty hard job to try to explain <laughs> Donald Trump. But yeah, working with Congress here, and it has been such a frenetic week. I mean, you talk about 100 days as a, as a traditional metric. The, the, there's 100 hours inside of this last week that are just as crazy as anything we've seen in these 100 days to see everything popping at once. The government shutdown is looming, but they decided to throw in tax reform and health 100 senators running down to the water. We'll see how many 100 senators getting invited to the White House North to get Korea, briefed yeah. on North Korea. It's uh, uh, it, it's a really <laughs> unbelievable. You know, I want to know who was the guy who came up with the brilliant idea when they were passing the current funding bill that expires on Friday at midnight. <laughs> who was the person that that, that, that that figured out that they would do it so it would end exactly on the 100th day of the Trump presidency? It's a sick sense of humor. <laughs> Someone <laughs> so was thinking it's also on the day that the White House Correspondents' Dinner and the day that President Trump will be uh, out in Pennsylvania at a campaign rally. Oh, he's not, not coming to the dinner? I have heard something about that. We'll see. We'll see if he shows up. Uh, we'll be there. It'll be fun. But I, I, I think, I, look, the, the White House has had Two minds and, and two sets of words on whether 100 days matters at all. You've heard from the president uh, he, his very specific campaign promises that you've been covering uh, the, of what would get done in that first 100 days. He's kind of struck out on all of them, hasn't even tried on most of them, right? Can John? I be honest with you for a please, second? Please, please, just, just this once. Um, uh oh. The 100 day thing. Oh, is come on. Way overdone. I knew you were going there. No, you can't. I mean, no, really? Come on. I mean, do we have to blame FDR for this? Is we that do. what it is? We do. We but, do. I mean, what a ridiculous metric. I've also been told that Napoleon had something to do with this, if you go back in history. I'll have to check that. Really? Uh, but, didn't but, he? That was the whole Waterloo thing, right? After. But, but 100 days, 100 days. I, I, look, if you go back and look at what's been said about 100 days, Marx's presidencies, they're almost always wrong. Because whatever is going to define this president almost certainly hasn't happened yet. Yeah. He hasn't had his 9-11, right? I mean, there hasn't been the big Let's moment. he doesn't get one of those. Well, of course not. But there, whatever it is that defines the presidency almost certainly hasn't happened yet. That said, this is a marker that gets public engagement, gets media engagement, and that the White House plays into. They know it's there. Well, he I, loves it because, the, frankly, because the press loves it. I mean, there's, there's no greater consumer of what we do than Donald Trump. That's a good point. So if the White House is going to play the game, my point is, then I think it makes it more important to cover it that way. This is it is something. And you can tell a lot about this president in the first hundred days and what he did get done and what he didn't get done and the changes that have happened. Uh, It's not to say everything trajectory, though. I mean, it feels like we've been through, you know, several different starts. And I mean, it it feels it feels like we've been through like four or five Trump presidencies. (laughs) It truly does. It truly does. And in some ways, I mean, is it the Donald Trump that ran to the CIA to complain about his um you know the crowd size yeah. questions. Is it, uh, is it, is it the Donald Trump that that uh, ushered through the Neil Gorsuch nomination? Is it the Donald Trump uh, who you know set the city on fire? Talking about uh, uh, President Obama allegedly wiretapping Trump towers. The Donald Trump uh, that worked with his national security team to act uh, rather decisively after the Syrian chemical weapons. Which, I mean, which presidency are we talking about here? A hundred days. I mean. 
and and so maybe it's a hundred trumps for a hundred days. Can you even can, summarize the hundred days? I mean, uh, uh, my summary is that that few presidents have gotten fewer accomplishments, but gotten more done. There's but been that's a contradiction. What, 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 what it is, it is the contradiction of Donald Trump. You should, you wait, should wait read minute, what wait I write every once in a while. Say that again. He's done. He has fewer few accomplishments, but got a lot done. Actual points on the board, things that happened, legislative achievements, almost none. Uh, you look at look, they're, they're just not there. Uh, Gorsuch is the main thing. Everything else you kind of have to give incomplete marks on. But in terms of changing the conversation, making himself the center of the action, moving through regulations. He's changed the town. He has changed Washington far more than he has been changed by Washington. Do you agree with that? I, I think that one of the most interesting things about this president is how little the office has changed him. There you go. There you go. And and that is a difference from previous presidents uh, that, that, that you can cover in 100 days. It's a humbling experience. It changes your behavior. There have been so many ways where, where it has not changed him. He came in ready to set a wrecking ball to all of these, these Washington institutions, and by and large, he's done that. So even if you go point by point and say, hasn't kept this promise, hasn't delivered on this, this is a work in progress, the broader promise that so many of his voters had of coming in and just shaking the place up, you can't say that didn't happen. All right. Joining us now, Mark Shorts, uh, Director of Legislative Affairs at the White House. Gosh, that, that's that's got to be one of the most interesting jobs in Washington right <laughs> Always now. Always something. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I, w- I want to talk to you about the uh, now unveiled uh, tax reform, tax cut proposal, uh, or at least outline uh, coming from the White House. And, and just get back to first principles here. Uh, are we – is the White House – is the goal still to produce – what we call revenue-neutral tax reform. In other words, if we cut taxes, we're going to pay for that lost revenue by closing loopholes. Is that still the operative plan, or have you uh, decided deficits be damned? Jonathan, our goal is to reduce taxes in a way that spurs our economy and creates jobs. That's what the president campaigned on. That's the promise he's delivering on with both his reductions in individual and corporate rates. But to your question about revenue neutrality, our most important thing is to make sure that we are spurring growth and creating jobs. Regarding neutrality, there are many deductions that will be eliminated in this process. We have promised that we want to simplify the tax code and hear again and again from Americans how complicated the American tax code is. And we want to make it more simple for individuals to, um, to fill out their tax return files. And so in that process, though, when you eliminate those deductions, you raise revenue. Our expectation is that with the growth we create and the elimination of many deductions, that we will make this revenue neutral. But that's a process that will play out over the next six weeks of many meetings we'll be having here at the White House with legislators and other organizations um, that represent trade associations and pro-tax organizations and anti-tax groups to make sure that we are hearing from as many Americans as possible as we continue to refine the final product. And at the end of the day, our expectation is that it will be revenue neutral. But I will want to go back to your first principles, John, and that is our first principle more than anything else is to make sure that the policy we put forward is one that is creating jobs and also helping to spur the economy. So you're not going back to the economics of somebody like Art Laffer, you know, who famously had the Laffer curve uh, that, that you know, make the case that you cut taxes, they pay for themselves simply through economic growth. That's not the argument you're making. You're making – you're saying that the White House will also work to close loopholes, which effectively raises tax people taxes on 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 people that take advantage of those loopholes. But but you are not simply counting on some magic 
Laffer-esque, uh, you know, economic growth solution to uh, 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 to the deficit. Well, John, you know, as somebody who is a huge admirer of Ronald Reagan and uh, and and follows Art Laffer, that I don't necessarily view his viewpoints as, as simply magical. So I'm not <laughs> this kind of notion. I'm not. Did you like Laffer-esque though? Did you like that? Is a pretty good sort of phrase. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's a new one. But I, I, I'm not discounting the notion that if you actually reduce taxes, that you spur growth and generate revenue. I think it depends as to where you reduce the taxes and how much. Having said that, uh, we are not looking to to propose a tax system that ends up, you know, adding to deficit because we recognize the challenge of the deficit. But I will come back to you and tell you what's first and foremost most important to us is to make sure we get the growth right first. So now, because you've got this broad portfolio, Mark, this has got to be one of the busier weeks for you. We're here at the, the, the week of the 100 days, and government funding isn't settled yet. You throw the new tax reform uh, proposal out there, these principles out there. You're also making a, a, another effort at, at health care. What's the strategy? Take us behind the curtain. What's the strategy in trying to get all of these things done right now when it's been such a frustrating first 100 days? Is it just about putting points on the board? Well, it may be a frustrating first 100 days um, for some of you in the media. I think for many of the people supporting especially for uh, Rick, Donald Trump, well, perhaps, <laughs> especially for Rick, I think for many of Americans it's been a very rewarding 100 days. And they look at a change in where the direction this country is going. They look at America being stronger on the international stage. And they see the regulatory relief that we've provided that's helping to return jobs to this country. Some estimates say that by a combination of the executive orders and legislation that we've signed, it's roughly $18 billion a year in cost savings on a regulatory front. So for many of Americans, they're not looking at frustration. They're looking at terrific relief. To your point about this week, you're right. It's an incredibly busy week. But I think that's the energy that this president brings to Washington. Many voters voted for this administration because they were tired of the dysfunction in Washington, feeling like they couldn't get anything done. And so when they see all this activity and seeing that they will potentially have a health care vote, that they will look to, to make sure that we fund the government, that we're also introducing tax reform, and also, as you know, today, hosting senators here at the White House for briefings on North Korea, there is no doubt a lot going on the legislative affairs agenda. But I think that's what the American people elected us to do. So we stand here at the 100-day mark, and you don't have the health care uh, vote happening. Tax reform is just beginning. It's going to be a process, as you mentioned. Uh, even if the, the government funding goes on, you're not going to get the infrastructure bill done w- within 100 days very clearly. Uh, border wall funding looks like it's not happening. So if you look, take us to day 200, Mark. What is going to be done on the legislative front on these big-ticket priorities at day 200 of this White House? Well, I think that, honestly, we'll have accomplished much in the first 100 days and we'll accomplish even more in the next 100 days. I think that the first 100 days, in many ways, were hampered by the process of getting our nominees confirmed. To date, we still, sitting here almost on the eve of May 1st, do not have a full cabinet confirmed by the U.S. Senate. That process is one in which the Democrats have continued to obstruct our nominees, which has not enabled us to have a full team you know, on the playing field. In the next 100 days, we will. And so that will help us to ensure that we do pass uh, health care reform. Keep in mind that for President Obama, it was his number one objective, and he did not pass um, Obamacare until March of 2010. We will complete it in a much sooner time frame than that. We're also excited as to the process and tax reform that lays, is ahead of us and the progress that we'll make on that front. And I think that, uh, that as I mentioned before, we have now signed 28 pieces of legislation that I think has provided a lot of regulatory relief to Americans. So. I probably don't have the same viewpoint that you do on the success of the first 100 days, but I think we'll be even more successful in the next 100. I want to ask you about your job, Mark. Uh, you, you came into this. You, let's face it, you were not a 
you, you were not a Trump person. You were not on the Trump campaign. Uh, widely respected in, in conservative circles, so so people obviously knew you. That's why you got the job. But what what has this been like? What is your what is your relationship like with the president? What was it like getting to know him? How much time do you spend with him? Take us inside the kind of day to day life of Mark Short, President Trump's envoy to Congress. Well, I don't know that it's very interesting for your listeners to know the day-to-day life of Mark Short, but but I will say that, look, I was on the presidential campaign, and so I, I joined the campaign, as you know, when Mike Pence was selected to be vice president, and uh, very much campaigned with the president and vice president. I don't view that as different. Um, and then uh, throughout, uh, since inauguration, I've really enjoyed getting to know the president better. I think he's incredibly engaged in legislative efforts. He's a, he's a very engaging personality with a lot of the members who we've had over here to the White House. Yesterday, for instance, uh, in addition to all the other um, legislative priorities that you laid out a second ago, we were having a discussion on opiate legislation and the, uh, the trauma, particularly in many of the Midwestern states, that uh, opiate addictions has created. And we had 28 members of Congress here, bipartisan members from both the House and the Senate, to talk about how we can move forward on legislation to help address that problem. And the president remains extremely engaged in each and every one of these efforts. And so uh, it's, it's been fun for me to, uh, to get to know him better and to be able to have the opportunity and the, the honor to work for him. But my sense is, talking to, to, to your colleagues, is that the, the president has taken to, to, to trust you, which is not an easy thing. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's developed a, a, a rapport with you. Um, what I, I just can you, can you I know I know you can't give us you know uh, uh, you know a rundown of a confidential conversation, but give us a sense of what, what what's it like when you're you know when when you're going in and, and and you're briefing him on developments on the Hill. I've also noticed, by the way, uh, having having covered several White Houses, I, I have never seen a president engage Congress quite as uh, energetically as this one in terms of the you know one to one personal relationships. Uh, the dinners. I mean, for God's sake, Lindsey Graham and John McCain were at the White House this week for 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 dinner. I mean, two 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 senators that have hammered uh, Donald Trump probably harder than than just about anybody. Uh, he he does a lot of this stuff. Obama hated that stuff. Um, you know, he did it kind of. You'd be dragged, kicking, screaming into it. Um, and 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 I see Trump, you know, engaging with uh, with with members. Uh, we'll see how how it plays out. But but but. Um, you know, much more so. I imagine you must have, you must be part of the reason for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think, honestly, the president brings enormous energy into this office, and he brings enormous energy to get things done for the American people. And he welcomes the opportunity to work with members on the Hill to actually uh, accomplish what the American people elected him to do. And so he, uh, it, it's not, I don't think it's considered in any way a burden when we ask. There's a few members to be great if we could have a conversation with. Uh, I think he cherishes those opportunities. He wants to build those relationships. And, you know, I, each, each administration is obviously different, but I do think that many things we heard, even from Democrat legislators on the Hill in, in, in our first couple months here, is them saying, you know, even when we were here in the same party as President Obama, we never got to come to the White House. And, and so having them over here for these conversations, I think, has actually helped to break, it might not be apparent to a lot of your listeners, but we are hopeful that it does break sort of the fever in this town that, is, that I think has created so much rancor and so much partisanship. And, and I think after we get through the health care legislation, you will be seeing, we hope, many more pieces of legislation will be advanced on a bipartisan nature. 
Mark, one area of, uh, of congressional White and White House tension uh, was exposed this week, a pretty extraordinary scene where you saw uh, Chairman Chaffetz from the Oversight Committee there with the ranking Democrat, Elijah Cummings, uh, and say point blank they believe that, uh, that Mike Flynn, the former National Security Advisor, probably committed a crime in not disclosing uh, the, the, the payments he got from a foreign government. They also said that they had asked the White House for information about these contacts and, uh, and were being rebuffed. And they, they cited the letter they got from you, as a matter of fact, that said that uh, the White House didn't intend to comply with the request. Uh, there was concern about national security. And also one that caught my eye, that, that the, these records uh, from the transition don't exist. Is that, is that true? Is there actually no record of the contacts during the transition? Were no records kept? And does the White House intend to, to help Congress with this investigation? Well, I appreciate that question a lot. It gives me a chance to, to address uh, the truth here. Uh, the White House has cooperated uh, fully with their request and with their uh, investigation. The, the letter that you reference is one in which they were asking for very specific documents that they that belonged to the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense provided voluminous records back to them. It's the same letter that they copied and pasted to multiple different agencies in the executive branch. And so my letter was simply responding that those documents were not held here at the White House. And regarding transition documents, again, the White House officially would not have transition documents, and therefore their request was sent to the wrong place. But regarding many of those records, we have cooperated and we have provided through the Department of Defense um, response to those letters and provided voluminous records that they've requested. It simply was one in which they also sent the same letter to the White House, and we here would not have those financial records. The Department of Defense did and complied with the request. Where would the, tra- where would the transition records reside? Are they somewhere? Uh, I would imagine that, uh, that those are with the campaign, but they're not here at the White House. Interesting. Mark, Mark one question about, about health care. Uh, as this bill has emerged, it, uh, that this compromise potential that, that's come out, one detail that's caught a lot of attention is the, uh, the, the, the exemption that appears to be in there for congressional staffers, that, uh, that while states may change the rules around what preexisting conditions are covered and what the coverage requirements are, that that wouldn't apply to congressional staffers. Is the White House comfortable with that, uh, keeping that as a special exemption for members of Congress staff? I think you will see that addressed in the legislative process in a way that, uh, that assures that the same standards applied across the board. By addressed, you mean erased then? <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. yes. Um, Mark, we know you've got to go. You're, it's a very busy time for you. I've got one, one more uh, kind of thought experiment for you before you leave. Uh, <laughs> close your eyes and imagine you've fallen asleep. You wake up and suddenly the Democrats have won the midterm elections. They've taken over the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. Um, how does this White House deal with a Democratic Congress in such a scenario? No, John, I think that's a, that's a great question. And you frame it as a dream instead of a nightmare. But I, I, I think I think look, it's not. It's not look, look, this is not outlandish, right? I mean, this is this no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, anticipate, I don't anticipate that scenario. But I think we would address it the same way that we do now. We've had plenty of outreach to Speaker Pelosi. And, and I think that you will see us continue to reach out to Democrats. I think what's, what's fascinating today is that here we are on the eve of a, of a potential government shutdown, and there's been very little, I think, focus on the reality that, that Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer are on different pages, and perhaps stopping the actual government from continuing to be funded to support our veterans, support our troops, over last-minute insertions, over CSR payments, and a bailout of Puerto Rico, and they can't even get on the same page. So I think our outreach will continue to be to both 
um, both parties and to both chambers. But uh, I don't know that it would necessarily um, change dramatically as the way we look at Congress and how we're supposed to do our jobs, regardless of who's the Speaker of the House. Are we still on the brink of a government shutdown? I thought you were pretty much, uh, I thought these issues have been pretty much resolved. We feel very comfortable that we have resolved the issues. But my point, John, is that right now we can't get Democrats to come to the table to sign the deal because they are holding out for last-minute assertions after lecturing nationally to say the White House shouldn't put any last-minute policy riders. They should let the appropriators follow the process. We did that. We've reached agreement, and they've inserted these policy riders regarding CSR payments and Puerto Rico bailout to the last minute, and they can't reach resolution as to how to solve those problems. So the potential of a government shutdown really rests on their shoulders. We are anxious to reach agreement. We have solved all the issues on our side. We've allowed the appropriators to do their process. What we now need is for Leader Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to pull off the table their ridiculous request so we can sign a bill and continue to fund the government. All right. Well, uh, Mark Short, if we have a shutdown, we come back and join us for an emergency podcast. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will come back anytime you invite me. And and uh, I just want to point out: last time we had you on Powerhouse Politics, uh, you predicted that uh, Ryan Zimmerman was going to uh, was going to come back to life. I think he had, he had, he was batting in the low one hundreds coming out of spring training, and and my God, he's he's lighting it up. The Nationals are in first place. Uh, so, yeah, you have any predictions you want to leave us with? Uh, with, with now, uh, does this I, trend I continue? Nats, or? I think the Nats are on fire. My only prediction is one of you two will be the uh, closer for the Nats by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> they could use the bullpen help. <laughs> All right, Mark Short, Director of Legislative Affairs for the White House. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so, so Rick, uh, you know, I, I think, and he kind of threw me for a loop there, but with the government shutdown talk. I mean, my, my, my sense is this is largely resolved. Yeah. Um. And I think it's actually an interesting story, and it's actually, I think, quite an accomplishment for the Trump administration uh, to be able to get through one of these funding processes and a deadline without, like, the world saying, oh, my God, we're about to shut the government down. We're about to – we're to the, to the brink. It, it's been done actually with much less drama than we've seen for a long time. I mean, he, he caved in on the – yeah. Wall funding uh, in, in the short term, not a lot of drama. The lights will stay on. And frankly, in this environment, that kind of counts as an accomplishment. It's a, it's a little like giving you credit as a TV correspondent for knowing how to tie your tie. I mean, this <laughs> yes. is this well, is, you should have seen how I used to tie <laughs> yeah, exactly. These things, man. So, I I, you, but you're right. I mean, it, it, what what used to be normal has become abnormal, and now you look back and say, "Wow, wait a second, there's not going to be a shutdown." I think. Look, you could have looked at a lot of possibilities of this White House, and they, 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 I think we heard from Mark a pretty rosy picture of the first 100 days that have been pretty rocky and pretty tumultuous. But if they can walk away with this without a government shutdown, without the brinksmanship that surrounds that, with him making kind of a compromise, just the, what happens in Washington, you want something, they want something, you, you walk away with a little of both, that does seem like a return to normalcy. And, and I, look, I think that we've seen... This president, as he learns the job, he's changed his ambitions at times. Uh, I think this move on tax reform is a, a bold step by them, but it's it, it also seems like it's a little late in coming to me because this seems like a campaign-type event. But he, they're putting principles out, and I feel like they may be showing a different model for how they want to get legislation done. If they put principles out, let Congress run within. That, that again, is not outlandish. Not outlandish. There we go. Not I mean, outlandish. There's a, there's I mean, a podcast the title for you. It's <laughs> <laughs> something... <laughs> All right. That is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. I want to give a special thank you for our uh, executive, senior producers, uh, exalted uh, human beings, uh, Avery 
uh, Miller and uh, David Rind uh, for for making this podcast possible. It takes it takes a lot of effort behind the scenes, right? Lots of effort. I mean, Lots a lot of, of effort. effort. It's I almost mean... like running legislators at the White House. It's true. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Carl. Rick, where are you again? At Rick Klein. You can follow me and follow the, the progress of my fantasy team, which might be beating John's this week. I'm not sure. I'll have to check the score. Uh, we are going head to head, and it's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> we'll have I... a full report next week. We'll see if I keep the lead up. <laughs> it doesn't look good on my end. It doesn't look good at all. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, please uh, join us again next week. Sign up. Join the – get the podcast. Get your uh, – what, what do they call it when you get the podcast? Then? Subscribing. There That's you go. Crazy Subscribe. Word. Rate us. Do all that kind of stuff. And we'll catch you next week.